Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, if you're joining us today, or just joining us, we are in a series called Go Local, and uh, we're sort of subtitled bringing Christ to others in our everyday, ordinary lives. And uh, so what we're talking about is, is making our faith sort of turn outward, turning our faith inward. That's what we, what we believe to be true inside us, in our minds and hearts. How do we get that out to the people around us effectively? That is what this is about, doing it with intentionality, doing it strategically. Uh, We have over, and this is like the third installment in this series, and the first two, we sort of looked at our our lives to assess sort of where we are spiritually and personally. And we said that there's sort of two gauges you have to look at. One is, you know, we said was a sort of a pressure gauge. You know, does does all my uh, spiritual life focus inwardly and it's not directed outward so that we're not really on any kind of a mission when we wake up every day? All right, that was the first one we looked at. And then the second one we looked at had to do more uh, with the temperature gauge. We looked at Jonah and we said, here's a person just sort of overheated. He just looks around at the evil around him, the culture around him, and... Uh, he either attacks it because he's angry or he shuts down. And so he becomes ineffective as a person because he's just overwhelmed by what he sees in the world. Doesn't think there's, loses hope. So we looked at those two gauges. And now we need to sort of figure out, uh, practically speaking, once we get those things right, how do we start to engage our uh, the people in our lives in a way that's effective. So we're going to look at a text. It's uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 29. It'll be a base text for us for, um, for a while, for a few weeks. And the text, let's see, is it coming up? There it is. So here is what Jesus says in this text. Uh, he is sharing parables about the kingdom. So he's trying to explain the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is like someone who spreads seed on the ground. He goes to sleep and he gets up night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. By itself, the seed, uh, the soil produces a crop. First the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. And when the grain is ripe, he sends in the sickle. Because the harvest has come. So that's your uh, sort of agricultural picture here. This parable is a parable of the kingdom and what it means to be in God's rule, what it means to go from living in the world to living under God's rule. What does that process look like? How do you come into the kingdom? What does it look like once you're in the kingdom? You know, what does it mean to be in the kingdom? So if you're here today and you would say, I'm not in the kingdom, uh, you're not in it. You would say, "I, I don't think I'm one of those. Somebody under God's reign. Under his rule, living as though 
he ran every part of my life, uh, then you're going to get a picture of what it looks like to be in the kingdom from this text. And if you're, on the out, or if you're already in the kingdom, you're going to learn how to help other people come in. That's sort of what we're dealing here. It's an agricultural picture. And basically what it's saying is believers are to the kingdom. Believers are to the kingdom what a farmer is to the harvest. So you can just picture yourself as a farmer. All right? Now, let's look at this text maybe. Uh, now, before we do that, let me just say this. Let me say this. Uh, in this agricultural picture, human hearts are pictured, sort of illustrated with the ground, soil. In fact, there's a whole parable of the soils that, re- that basically illustrate the condition of a human heart. And so when God uses this farmer uh, imagery, this agricultural imagery, he's looking at the human heart as ground, as soil. And he makes it clear there are different kinds of hearts. Some of them are like a well-worn path. You put seed on it and it just lands on the top. It's just been so worn down by life that it, 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 it doesn't penetrate the ground at all. It just sits there bird can come grab it off the ground because it never penetrates the soil. Some hearts are like that. And another picture of the heart is that it's rocky. There's a little bit of soil on top, but underneath it's hard. There's anger, there's uh, uh, hostility, pain. And so the seed falls in a little bit. It's appealing to that person for a little bit, but then Eventually, the roots don't have far enough to go, and they hit the ground, and some human hearts are like that. And then there's the other ground that it just has so many things living in it that the seed doesn't have any space to grow. You know, it's like you've just, you've, you, you took the seed and you added it to an already cluttered life. It never really took over. It didn't have the space to take over. Some human hearts are like that. And this is God sort of picturing himself as this landowner who loves humans. He's figuring out how to reach those hearts. So don't miss that. This is about human hearts. And God's very interested in them. And then there's this seed. This little bitty seed that just seemingly falls You know, without, uh, I mean, there's no pressure, there's no, it's not powerful, it's not overwhelming, it's not intimidating, it's not crushing, it just lightly, gently falls, which is another picture of the kingdom. You need to know that God's not just trampling over things. You know, it's not a flamethrower that he uses to reach people. It's just a gentle seed. Landing on the soil. This is a graphic picture. Helps both people who are in the kingdom and out of the kingdom understand what God is up to. And the role that they play and how he's going to use it. So, let's look at this text. This is this actual text right here in what we call a chiasm. Because it's a chiasm. I've shown you these before. Okay? The beginning and the end match. Um, So you have, you know, you're sowing here and you're harvesting. And then you have... 
what the man does and what the seed does. And then you have here what the seed does and what the man does. And they just correlate to each other. And then there's the centerpiece. And usually in the centerpiece is the, is the real heart of the imagery of the chiasm. And so I've highlighted that. And it tells you two things about this whole farming process. Number one, the man who planted the seed, he has no idea how that seed grows. And he has nothing to do with it. He's just a seed planter. Other than that, it's just a complete mystery to him. In fact, the tense, it's a perfect passive, the verb, which suggests he's never going to know. And it's not for him to ever know. He doesn't need to know. He just needs to go to sleep and wake up. So that's the idea in this text. So for those of us who are in the kingdom and we are trying to plant seeds to others, it's a mystery how anyone comes to Christ. It's a miracle how anyone comes to Christ. We don't have anything to do once the seed hits. It's all up to God at that point. And so on one level, we are completely ignorant. That's what this is. We are ignorant as to how it happens. But we are expecting. Even though we don't know how it happens, we do know it happens. And so we go to bed and we wake up every day with purpose. He sleeps and he rises. Farmers work hard. They're tired at the end of the day. They go to sleep because they earned it. And then they wake up with purpose. That's how the seed planter lives his life. He's not just going to bed and waking up and in a routine of life. He's got a farm he's thinking about and he's expecting. He's waiting for it to grow. He doesn't know how it does, but he's waiting for it to happen. So uh, this is important. Uh, read a book while I was away this past week called, um, it was called, Why on Earth Did Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? It's a great read. It's it's. It's not for everybody to read. It was a lecture series, a theological lecture series by a uh, scholar, Larry Hurtado. And, I mean, I I really enjoyed it, but it was sort of a scholarly approach to the first three centuries because Christianity was was totally optional uh, in comparison to the other religions. Every other religion you just grabbed, and no other religion did you pay a price for it, so you had to choose it. There's all the other gods of the culture. You know, you just sort of grew up with and you did them. And they didn't cost you anything. In fact, they served you well in the community. But if you became a Christian in the first three centuries, it was a high price to pay at every level. Religious, political, social, cultural, at every level. And it was like, why in the world would people choose that? And so at the end of the book, he basically boils it down to, well, it was... It was a very unique message of Christianity. I'm not going into that today. It's a unique message of Christianity. That's what made it appealing to some. But at the end of the day, he really, you know, is trying to give a historical approach, but he doesn't really have an answer at the end of the day. Well, this text gives you the answer. It's God that opens hearts and eyes. No matter what century you live in, no matter how hard it is or how easy it is, there's no culture that's beautifully receptive to Christianity. It's offensive to every culture. Christianity is offensive to every culture. That's why it works in every culture. There's no one culture better for Christianity than another one. 
You need to know that. You need to remember that. And that's the confidence of the seed planter. He knows no matter where this seed goes, God can do something with it. It's got nothing to do with him or the culture around it. All right? Uh, So there's no special circumstances. uh, God's at work. And here's the thing you don't ever want to become. You can be ignorant, and you can wake up expectant, but you can't be arrogant. And arrogant is... That guy's never going to come to Christ. Those people never will. I'll never break through those people. God, I mean, and you've just given up on some either group of people or people around you. And if you do that, you've become arrogant. Somehow you're better because you got it. How'd you figure it out? Maybe you're too far removed from how you came to Christ. It was a miracle for you to see the truth. Of Christ. It was a miracle. I was just listening to a uh, Yale professor who is a professor of economics and he's a believer and he's a sort of a lone intellectual voice. One of the voices. I shouldn't say lone, but he's one of the voices, one of the few voices for Christianity at Yale. I was listening to his story and uh, he's from South Korea. He, when he was 15 years old, they were immigrated to the United States. His mom became a Christian, starting attending a church because it helped them integrate into society easier to be around people who spoke Korean and to be uh, in a church. She became a believer. Um, he got into the church a little bit, but it, it just wasn't for him. And so uh, he decided he, was, he got accepted to Yale. He was a bright young man, got accepted to Yale. And was going to go off to Yale, and he sort of rebelled against the church and his mom. And his mom would call him while he was at Yale going to school and say, hey, did you go to church this week? And out of love for his mom alone, once a month, he would go to some church. Didn't want anything to do with it. And he tells the story. His sister marries a pastor. He hates that guy. And he's mad at his sister for doing it. And so he's getting close to graduation, and uh, they're gonna get, they get married, and he tells his sister, I can't believe you're doing this. And he goes, uh, uh, one of these days, I'll be a, a, a wealthy professor of economics, and I'll have to support you and that poor pastor. Okay? Sort of hurt her feelings, obviously. Well, the mother, who's the only voice that can get this guy to do anything, sends him off to, says, listen, that, your sister and her husband are doing a a Christian retreat, a spiritual retreat, and I want you to go to it. He didn't want to go to it. He, He didn't even like this guy. But he went to please his mom. Hated it right up to the very end, three day weekend, right to the very last thing. And the last thing they do is sing a song. And it's a song by Keith Green. And it's a song, I wrote down the words because I didn't know the song, but it's called To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. And then the second line is, I got, uh, Keith Green writes, I, did, I don't need your money, I want your life. And so here he is, he said he hated the whole week and he gets to that last thing and that guy starts singing this song and just a week ago he told his sister, I'll have to financially support you. And I was thinking to myself, maybe I feel good because I could give them money. And here it is, God saying, I don't want your money, I want you. He said, immediately, I began to bawl, and God grabbed a hold of my heart, 
And that's where he was. That's where he became a believer right there. And now he's at Yale and he's a voice for God. Incredible testimony. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, even if you're not interested, even if you're hateful, it's still a mystery. God comes in and does it. It's not anything you do. It's, it's, it's just a miracle. I just loved the story. And I'll tell you, um, it's not only mysterious. Here's the second piece. By itself, that's the word automate. where we get our word automatic. Automatic. Automatically. Just some organically, the soil produces fruit. Here's the other mysterious thing about this, that once that thing gets inside of you, it'll change your life. It'll transform you. It's not anything you have to do. You go, I become a Christian, then I got to go figure out how to do all. I'll tell you, there's a very, very organic, natural way that God transforms you from the inside out. It's mysterious. It's transforming. It's internal. It's, It's not a religion. It's relationship. And God does the whole thing. Okay, so if you're sitting here today and you're a believer and you're looking at this and you're going, I wonder, do I live like that? Do I live like God can do anything in anyone's heart at any time and all I got to do is plant the seed? And then if you're on the outside of the kingdom and you're looking in the kingdom and you're going, I'm not even sure I want in. In fact, I don't want in. Well, that's okay. If God's put a farmer in your life, I don't care who it is. It could be a a nagging mother. It could be a nagging mother. It could just be a coworker, just someone who's been transformed. Then you better look out. You better be careful. Because he will have nothing to do with what God does inside your heart. It's incredible truth. All right? And so God needs farmers. You remember this text, right? Matthew 9, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into into his harvest. He had looked over the city, he said, man, I have compassion for these people. I have compassion for these people. And I wish I had more workers. And it's interesting to me here that he says, when you pray, don't pray for the harvest. Pray for workers. Like God can handle the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. He just needs people to to be expectant, to trust them to change hearts. Uh, You know, if you don't farm, I remember when I was, uh, when we first became, when I became a youth pastor, I was a part of a group insurance, medical insurance, but you had to be a, you had to be part of the Cattlemen's Association. And so I'm, okay, will they accept me? Do I look like a farmer and a rancher? I don't think so, but they accepted me, and so here I am, part of the Cattlemen's Association. And I'll never forget getting a sort of a census from the State Department of Agriculture uh, to fill out because they thought I was a farmer, because I'm a part of the Cattlemen's Association. And so I remember that thing was this thick. And so I start filling this thing out, being overwhelmed, going, there's just no way I can. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, I can't. I don't even know how to answer some of these questions. At the very end, the very end, and it took me halfway through this thing to realize, to get to the end, it says, if you have no no animals, no farm animals, and you're grown nothing. Just write on the out. Don't fill it out. 
just write on the outside of the envelope this, never farmed. I was like, that's me. And I just wrote, I just folded that thing up and put never farmed on the, you know why? Because the, the agricultural people of the world know if you don't farm, you have nothing. You got to farm. That's the point of this. You need farmers. You need workers. You got to farm if you want to see production, if you want to see growth. So let's talk about what it means to farm in this text. So we go back to our, uh, our text. I'm going to go backwards here to here. All right, well, let's actually go to here because you can see it better. All right, so there are two parts to farming in this text. You got the sowing here, you got the seed planter, and then you got harvesting at the end when it finally grows. But what happens before you sow? What do you do before you sow? You plow, you got to till the land, you got to plow first. So it's assumed in this text because nobody in their right mind assumes that you can just start throwing seed anywhere you want. You got to work the ground. That's Living the Christian life sort of plowing. That's what plowing is. We need to talk about what it means to plow. And uh, we sort of have to leave this text in order to do that. But let me tell you what I mean by plowing. Because it just sounds like this hard work. And it sounds, you know, like dirty work. And it is dirty work. But plowing is essentially loving people. That's essentially all plowing is, is loving the people that God puts in your life. All right? Loving the people God puts in your life. Uh, And I mean genuinely love them. We're not manipulating. we're We're not trying to get in close because we're trying to sell something. No, we're just talking about loving the people in your life. All of them, all the different, all of them. Where they're coming from, all right? And I mean genuine love, not the kind of love like uh, I've told you that. Didn't I tell you before I went on vacation that I had a, a tooth I had to have surgery on? I, mean, this is, I got a tooth. It's my favorite tooth uh, because it's such a high investment in this tooth. It's my favorite tooth. Um, and I'm trying to save it. And I've we've spent a lot of money trying to get it saved. A couple of root canals and a surgery, and the jury's still out. So uh, I told you that the dentist had to, you know, prepare me for knocking me out in order to do this surgery he had to do, which cuts the roots to see if that works. And so, uh, so he did it. And to do it, he had to give me these two pills. So he takes them, I take them, and pretty soon, man, I am out of it. And I'm going to tell you, uh, it's, it's amazing what I can't remember all that was going on. I can't remember things, little things before it, Gail and I sitting in the dentist's office, things we were talking about, and then being in there, and I remember having some interaction with the dentist, but I don't remember, I can't put them in order, and I don't know how it was, and then afterwards even things, Gail and I said on the way home, I can't remember things I said. All I do remember, this is the one very clear thing I remember in the dentist seat. I remember the dentist saying to me, I love you too, Pete. (laughs) That's what I remember him saying to me. And so I, I thought, maybe that didn't really happen. Maybe I was just hearing things. So when I went back to get the stitches out, I, I had to inquire. Did I 
Yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. And so I, I said, well, Doc, I love you. I really do. And I'm talking about really loving people here, not sort of a high, fake kind of a love. I'm about really loving people here. All right? So when we talk about plowing, all right, when we talk about plowing, and we got to do this sort of work with the people because, because we're talking about human hearts that God loves. That's why. Um, this is what we're talking about. All of my relationships and all of my encounters, even if they're brief with people, my hope is to earn trust, okay, and to arouse curiosity. It's to earn trust and to arouse curiosity in the people around me. That's what I want to be. That's how I want to live. Earn trust and arouse curiosity. So now we have to talk about what that looks like. And, um, and I have a favorite verse on this topic. So I, I kind of want to walk you through it before I give you some pictures of it. Hopefully we'll have time for the pictures. If not, we'll have to do it next week, but we'll see. All right? Uh, here is the verse right here. I just want to read them. Uh, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. This is the end of Colossians. It's Colossians 4. It's sort of his final words to the church there. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. And that's literally that should, every person, each person, uniquely. Now, uh, let me sort of give you a little, just a, a helpful mechanical layout of this text so that we can see, break down its parts. All right? Uh, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you know how to answer each person. So you have, this is the word literally for walk. You know, that's conduct, live, walk. Literally walk. So you have to walk before you what? Talk. You walk first, then you talk. And if you don't have a walk, you can't be talking. That's the idea. All right? So here's what he says. Conduct yourselves with wisdom. Let's just start there. I'm just going to tell you a few things about these texts, uh, give you some principles for plowing, because this is about plowing. Uh, that's developing relationships, earning trust, arousing curiosity. Conduct yourselves with wisdom. Wisdom in Colossians is basically a Christ-centered life. It's the gospel-centered life. In other words, it's the seed has come alive in you, and it's obvious. Now, you could just conduct yourselves with wisdom. You could, and probably many of you do. You're nice Christians. You're nice people. Probably not cheating anybody. Probably nice to be around at work. You can just live that kind of a life, but with your head down. In other words, not on purpose. Notice what Paul says here with this little preposition right here. Very important. Toward outsiders. Not just you living your little Christian life in your little bubble, but it has to be proactive. Lean in. This should almost have a, 
this, this little preposition is directional. It means it's movement. In other words, I'm living this kind of life, with, but I'm leaning in. I'm leaning in to the people around me, people who, who are not in the kingdom. And that's what an outsider is. So you're in the kingdom and you're trying to figure out how to get in the kingdom. And for Paul, the outsider is the kingdom. If you go to Colossians 1, it'll tell you that that's, that's what he means. And so we're trying to figure out how to get toward. And so what does it mean to conduct yourself with wisdom? It means you're going you're to be different. It's not that hard to be different. Okay? Just, just don't cuss. Don't be mean. Angry. You know, there's all the angry guys out there. There's the cussers out there. You also got the, uh, you know, the partiers out there. And, you, you know, you can't be partying more than them. I know you party, Hillside. Jeez. But you can't be, you know, the partier. Sorry. If you drink them under the table, you got a problem. Lordy Lord. Okay, so, and, and, and lust, how you treat people with respect. Are you angry? Are you mean? Uh, are you gossipy? Just that kind of stuff is stripped away from you. That's not who you are. It won't take much. Uh, not at all. They'll, they'll recognize it immediately. And so if, if that distinction isn't there, it's really hard to do much. And, and I, I don't know if I brought it with me. I, I, I had a, no, I didn't. I'll save it for later then. All right. Um, so you got to have this conduct first. If you have this kind of conduct and, it's, and, and you're living, so what does it mean then to uh, direct it toward outsiders? So I'm, I'm living this Christian life, but it's toward the people in my life. So what are, you, what are you doing there? And see, in this kind of thing is when you're showing care to people. Now you're engaging people, taking initiative with people. You're, you're saying, can I pray for you? You're finding uh, in conversation ways to serve people, unique ways to serve, unique ways to give to the people around you so that they know that you care about them, know that you care about them, not just say it. But you, they know you care about them, and they can feel it in your life. And as you're doing that, what will happen is they'll start to confide in you because you're different. They can say things to you they might not be able to say to other people. And you'll uncover things in their hearts that are going to be hard, painful. They might share things with you. And you've got to be a great listener to engage and interact with people. This is plowing. Living the life toward an outsider. And when you are doing that, look what Paul says. You have an opportunity. I mean, make the most of that thing. Whenever, whenever you have an insider and an outsider together, and he's living the life he ought to live, or she's living that life, and it's toward an outsider, leaning in. In other words, I care about this person, and I'm finding ways to serve and, and love them. I'm taking my Christian life toward them. An opportunity is going to arise. It could be an immediate one. It could be one over time. But I'm telling you, this is, where the, this is where the mystery starts to work. And you make the most of that opportunity. That's who we are. That's what we do. We make the most of that opportunity. Uh, 
I always like to say at least uh, when it comes to this, because a, a question, even Rosaria Butterfield says in her book, she'll get people who will say to her, well, how do you be around outsiders and, you, and not, um, and not uh, you know, where, they don't, where I could be around them where I, they don't feel like I'm approving of everything they do? I just want to hit this point, even if it's the last point I make before next week. I might have to illustrate all of this next week, but I just do, I do want to make this point. I think it's really, really important. Um, do you know the difference between acceptance and approval? I can be around anyone doing anything. I don't necessarily have to approve that, and this and she'll say, and I think it's really smart, she'll say, that's a false question. You can't give good answers to bad questions. Here's the facts. I don't approve of everything anyone does. Do you? How mad are you all day long about other, th- people think, other things people are doing? Half your breath is spent recovering from the dumb stuff other people do. Isn't it? You're like, jeez. I mean, half your thoughts, half your words, half your breath, you're never going to approve of everything anybody, everybody does. But I can be around, I can be there and be, isn't that what Jesus did? They, they accused him of that. What are you doing eating with them, hanging out with them, being with them? So I want to say something to us as believers. It's one of the reasons we don't plow well is because we're so intimidated by sin. It's wrong. You don't approve of it. You don't even live that way. But you don't have to be intimidated by it. You'll be around the, uh, you know, there's a couple of people I'm around in my life that are, that, that are, they're off color in just about everything that comes out of their mouth. And everything they do, and they're confident in it, and they're sort of arrogant in it, and they, they're proud of it. I don't care. I'm confident and proud of the opposite. I don't. It's okay. So you don't have to be intimidated by it. Uh, and you, you certainly don't have to live like you miss it. Oh, sure wish I could do that. Don't live like that. Well, I sure do miss out on that flirting stuff. Yeah, that's really great. You can't live like that either when it comes to sin. But I'll tell you the other thing you can't do. You can't turn Christianity into moralism. Listen. I'm going to sit for a minute. If Christianity to you is only about right and wrong, you missed it. You missed it. If you're just running around looking at the whole world going, they're right, they're wrong, they're right, they're wrong, they did right, they did wrong, you're going to miss it. I'm not trying to communicate my faith as all it is is about right and wrong, people. That's not what Christianity is. Does it change you on the inside? Of course it does. Does it turn you into a moralist, though? Transform you into somebody who loves Christ. That's not a moralist. The guy running around is always checking for sin. And he can't be there. Oh, don't, don't invite Pete over there because he can't handle the drinking. And he can't, don't invite Pete to the party because I don't want any of my friends to feel that way. 
I want to be able to be around all my friends. I got friends that, I, that are around my life that I hug even though they don't like me to hug them. I got friends, and I do. I do it, and I know they hate it, and I love them. And I'm just trying to tell them I love them. And, uh, and when, when, when they have parties, I want them to feel like they can invite me even though they know I'm probably not going to party with them. And I, but, that I, but I can hang with them. Because I'm not a moralist. I don't make them feel every day like they just don't match up. That is not what Christianity is. And it's horrible if that's how you're approaching Christianity. And that's partly what's making you overheated. And so you don't become effective at all in the kingdom. You're just not effective. Notice what Paul says. You've got to be, look what he says after this here. After he's dealing with that whole issue. He's dealing with, don't you know how to be gracious? You gotta be gracious. And you gotta have your 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 uh, your conversation seasoned with salt, just enough spice. And every situation is unique. You gotta know how to speak to each person. I got I was thinking about all the people that are in my life that I know God has me in their life for a reason because they're all divine, divine encounters and opportunities. And I'm just trying to figure out how do I answer each one and it requires you to do more listening than anything else. You got to listen a lot. But you got to know how to be gracious and yet, and yet have assault about you you don't want to be, this is not assault. You don't assault. It's just a little flavor. So I have a bunch of nevers. Never argue. Never push. I never feel intimidated by, I don't care if they're smarter than me or if they're, uh, you know, a little bit, you know, more rambunctious than me. I'll say it that way. Uh, I have to feel intimidated. Uh, so you never push, you never overreact. You know, some people will tell you some crazy stuff. It's either what they did last night or what they believe to the core of their being, and you'll go, ah. You can't do that. You can't go, ah. Every time somebody tells you something, they're telling you something, you're listening, they tell you something wild, I mean, they'll tell you some wild stuff. And you just kind of got to go, yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Ah. And you go home and you have nightmares, but you still... You got to be able to, you can't overreact because don't be the moralist. That was the Pharisee. So put off by sin, they were ineffective by everyone. And they were moralists. They really weren't, you know, believers at all. So, um, so one final thing on that, and then I'll pick this up next week about the, the, one of the other issues, and I had a great conversation with my sons about it yesterday, is about sharing opinions. Um, you'll have people in your life, like I don't, some people in my life, you know, they don't say much. 
You know, by being around them on a regular basis, you never really know everything they believe about life and culture and things like that. Then there are some people in your life who, they just love to tell you everything. Hey, did you see that? Can you believe he said that or she did that? He did that? Can you believe that's going on? There's a lot of people love to, to just throw that stuff out there. And you've got to be really careful and really smart. And you've got to be gracious. And you've got to have your uh, conversation seasoned with salt when, when you're sharing your opinion back. And it might, it's very often, very often, it's better for you to not, maybe not share yours. You think you could do that? Is your ego too big that your opinion has to exist in the world? Bring it down. Bring it down. I can't tell you how many times my opinion doesn't get shared. Most of the time. I'm just listening. And then you just ask questions. You just ask questions. Um... That's interesting. Tell me why you believe it. How about on this Colin Kaepernick issue? People will bring that up. At my gym, it came up. Colin Kaepernick doing this commercial for Nike, and it's polarizing people. People are burning their Nike sneakers. Uh, and that issue comes up, and, man, there's people on both sides of this thing pretty strong. Have you, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you're sitting in here and you don't know who Colin Kaepernick is and you don't, what Ni- and you don't know what Nike is, <laughs> you need to go Google some stuff when you leave here. People are throwing their opinions out there. And it's easy to be on one side or the other of this thing. And, you know, when you're interacting with people, your opinion doesn't really matter much. Do you know that? When you're trying to plow and love people, your opinion doesn't matter anything. It's all about how can I effectively reach this person. So it might be better after a person shares their opinion, whether it's your side or not, to just say, that's interesting. Now tell me where, where that's coming from in you. Explore it a little bit. Um, I'll just go ahead and share this little thing with you. I found this summer. It was a really great thing, and I'll close with it. Uh, Jesus was a master at interacting with people uh, on, on this kind of stuff. And um, I found this little deal. Let me, let me show it to you up here. Jesus was asked 103 questions. Look how many he answered. Three. But you know what he did do? He asked back 307 questions. So Jesus didn't see his sort of plowing as Q&A. He saw it as Q&Q. Ask more questions. Ask more questions. Jesus was a master at it. He was a seminary prof who wrote this thing and I thought was really good. He said, uh, um, oh, let me see. A good question is worth a thousand answers. Get people thinking. Get people thinking. You know what one of my goals is? If you're not a seeker, if you're around me and you're my world and you're not a seeker, my hope, my hope is that I can earn trust Arouse curiosity. How come Pete doesn't always share his opinion? How come Pete's not so? How come Pete doesn't cut? How come Pete doesn't? Why does? How's he different? And then what I hope is that they'll become seekers. 
You look at the people in your life, you go, I don't think they're seeking anything about God. They're not seeking God at all. That's okay. Being around you, they might. And that's what you want. I don't need you to be a seeker in my life to be effective. I'm hoping to help you become one. Now, let me ask you something. In your encounters with people on a regular basis, whether it's for 30 seconds or 30 years, have you earned trust, aroused curiosity, prompt people to seek? Some people can't even imagine any other way to live until God puts you in their life. Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Lord, help us love the people around us. Help us to remember what it meant for us, for someone to share with us. Help us to, to embrace the mystery of how you work. How you work in people's hearts and transform lives. And to be able to work with you on that. To hear you say, pray to me and ask for workers. I need people who will work with me in the fields. We want to partner with you, God, every day in people's lives. And if there's someone here today, no matter how they felt about you coming in, if they knew what a loving farmer you were, if they knew how much their hearts, and you know exactly what kind of ground their hearts made of, Father, even now, speak to that heart and open, open it. And make every person in here, no matter what their ground is, no matter what their heart state is, just a little more open to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.